Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop to the King Harold Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? Will, it's it's going well. We've reached the the most boring part of the offseason, I think, but we'll still have a good show today, so I'm excited to talk to you and Jerry for, for an hour or so here. You're absolutely right. We are in the dog days of summer, but we are, uh, we're going to get through it, so... He's the he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana basketball hall of famer, the true pride of French Lick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it is a pleasure to have you today. Well, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, always uh, look forward to it. I think we're going to have another good show. It's, there's a chance we will anyway. <laughs> so as, as Tony's previously mentioned, we're in that, uh, that time of year where uh, Kings news is a little, little bit slow and you got to you got to, you know, squeeze blood from the rock somehow. So if we touch on some subjects, Jerry, that are a little bit uh, further afield than you're used to, uh, we're not going to worry about it too much. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, last week, it was reported by the athletics, uh, uh, Sham Shanaria, that it wasn't just the New York Knicks that were maneuvering to acquire uh, uh, jazz star uh, Donovan Mitchell, according to Shams, uh, along with New York, several of the teams had expressed interest when it came to, uh, to Mitchell and the jazz. Uh, Washington, Miami, Toronto, Charlotte, Atlanta were all mentioned, as well as the Sacramento Kings. So we've danced around this a little bit for a few episodes, but now that we've heard actual reports of Sacramento uh, dipping their toes in the water for Donovan Mitchell, I've got to ask you guys, first, what you think of the news, and then how he fits in, if it even makes sense for the Kings to acquire him. Well, you know, he's obviously a very good player. Uh, I, I'm, I wasn't excited to uh, hear about it, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, I think he's... Uh, he is an all-star, proven all-star player, but he is a ball-dominant uh, volume scorer on a team that probably has that position filled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and probably not by a player that's as good as Donovan. I mean, I'd say that, but, uh, you know, it's like anything. Yeah, if you could get Donovan Mitchell for for Terrence Davis in the second-round pick, of course you do that. But, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, but my guess is the from what the Knicks are trying to do and can't get it done, uh, I think the price would be just way too high for our beloved Sacramento Kings. Absolutely. Tony, what about you? Is the price too high for the Kings at this point? Yeah, it's one of those things where we, and I, like on this side of, of uh, the Kings, on the fan side, you're, you want Monty to be aggressive. He said he's going to be aggressive. We want them to go after star players. And then the actual player rumor comes out, and you're like, oh, I don't want that star player. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about Donovan Mitchell rumor, mostly because the price is very high and the Kings have such a uh, a narrow window for success that you this team can't lose the pieces required to get Donovan Mitchell and still be good enough to be a, a, a good team, in my opinion. Donovan Mitchell is good, but is he better than, you know, Fox and Mitchell, and, uh, you know, his brother Davion Mitchell and a bunch of other picks and other things that, that it'll cost you? Uh Maybe, but it's very risky, especially when the Kings already kind of hamstrung their ability to trade picks in the Kevin Herter trade. Um, so to make this a reality is very difficult. And like Jerry mentioned, I'm not sure 
Mitchell is that much better than Fox and all the pieces that you're going to have to move to make that happen. I'm curious how much you think that uh, the Timberwolves screwed up the rest of the trade, uh, yeah. the trade season because of the, what they gave up to get Rudy Gobert. And if, if they hadn't given up four first round picks and four other players, would he be a bit more attainable or Jerry, do we judge each or do GMs judge each trade kind of based on itself and not worry about, you know, well, Gobert got four first round picks. So I want seven picks for, for Mitchell. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think that each general manager uh, does look at it from his own view of what we're willing to give up. Uh, but it's also true is that uh, you hit a good point there. I, I thought uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, you know, were bidding like a drunk sailor there uh, to get through <laughs> Rudy Gobert. And, uh, and I think, you know, then it's a case where, you know, a Danny Ainge, I mean, sharp guy, and he's saying, all right, we got this for Rudy, then we got to have that for Donovan or more. Since uh, and, and and I think that's why, you know, he's still out there. And I don't think, you know, I think they're going to trade Donovan. I think they're going to have to come off the price. You know, what Minnesota's willing to do is not what uh, other teams are willing to do. If you want to make a trade at some point, it's it's called uh, negotiate and compromise. And right now, I think that's where Utah probably is in the going to have to get in the compromise part of it. Yeah, I guess the other part of this, and Tony, maybe you can speak to this too, being so close to Danny Ainge for so often physically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how much of this is Danny Ainge as well, that that Danny Ainge is, is kind of known to be a curmudgeon about what he, he gets what he wants or, or you don't get anything at all. Uh, how much does that play into the Jazz also sticking to the price that they currently have for Donovan Mitchell? I think Danny has proven that he will wait it out and the Jazz don't really have a, a rush to, to trade Mitchell either. I'm sure Mitchell wants to be moved at this point, and I'm sure the Jazz would like to, to move him if they can get what they want because uh, they seem to be rebuilding. But Danny is not someone that is uh, going to budge to his detriment at times on his ask, asking price. Jerry, I, I'm curious on how much you think, uh, how much time you think the Jazz have. Do you think the Jazz are bad enough that they can wait until the trade deadline? If they're the the, the consensus is that the Jazz are trying to tank out for the 2023. Uh, there's a very strong draft coming up this year, and that they'd like to be in the top five, preferably in the top three, top one. Um, are the Jazz bad enough at this point in the way they're they're built to to be that low? If if it's just Donovan Mitchell and company, or do they need to trade him if they want to get a head start on everything? Well, I think they would uh, like to trade him to get a head start. I believe that. But I also believe, like uh, Tony mentioned, I, I, I think I've got a fairly good read on, on Danny Ainge. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, he's not going to make a deal he doesn't want to make. If it's tra trade deadline, it'll be trade deadline. If it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, he thinks he can get a, you know, an extra pick some way or a, or a flip-flop pick, something that he likes a little better. I, I yeah, I, I think he'd very much like, and I think he'll probably bend a little bit on his uh, demands uh, before the season starts. Sure. But the key word is a little bit. And uh, if, it, if, that, if that can't get it done, he, he'll, he'll hold on to Donovan Mitchell. Okay, now to, uh, now to the real star of the show here, the, the, the guard that I've really been wanting to talk about for two weeks. Kings have acquired their, uh, their third point guard, uh, Matthew Dellavedova. Uh, he played for Mike Brown in Cleveland. Uh, he's he's a little bit older. He brings some uh, experience. He was once uh, voted the dirtiest player in the NBA uh, to some people's uh, chagrin. 
Uh, Jerry, Tony, what do you guys think he brings to the Kings? And is, a, is this a good move overall? Well, let Tony go first on this. I, I've got full confidence that Tony can, uh, <laughs> can uh, come up with the right uh, take on this one. You trust me to break down the third point guard on the Kings. That's very, <laughs> very high confidence. Um, no, I, on last episode, we talked about Isaiah Thomas a little bit. And my arguments for him would kind of be the same for Delvadova, where you're getting a veteran point guard who probably isn't going to play a ton in his first season, but he had, or in his, what might be his last season. Um, in the league, but he has all the veteran uh, knowledge, all the experience, all the big game experience, all the different scenarios. He's played with stars. He's played on bad teams. He's played overseas. He's a guy that has definitely seen it all. And I would even say uh, I'm certainly not advocating for the Kings to intentionally injure players or anything like that, but they could even benefit from having a guy like Della Vadova, who at the very least is not afraid to fight with people. I'm not going to condone, condone actual dirty basketball, but this team needs to get tougher. And if any of that can rub off on other players, just not backing down, you know, you don't need to step into the part where you're actually uh, making sketchy plays or dirty plays, but the, what Della Vadova does bring is the, a, a spirit of, of not backing down from anyone on the court. And that is not something the Kings have really had. And how much can a player impact that in the third guard spot? I don't know, Jerry, you can maybe speak better to, can a guy rub off on a team, even if he's not playing regularly, I guess that would be the concern. But for a third point guard, I like this a lot. I, you know, I think the Kings had a, a spot for a veteran player. And if Del Vadova is the guy, and again, he has connections with Mike Brown, I think that's a pretty solid option. You know, yeah, my, my feeling was I, I have no problem with it. I, I think it's a, a Mike Brown uh, decision, you know, and credit to Monty because uh, I would have preferred someone with more talent. I, I really think <laughs> Del Vadova, uh, that ship sailed out of the harbor some time ago. Uh, but he, he he is everything you say. He's a tough competitor. He's going to compete as best he can uh, in whatever minutes he gets, which I don't think will be hardly any unless there's injuries. Uh, but But I think it's a case where and you hit on it. I really think it's a case where Mike Brown knows this team needs a change of mentality. And one way of doing that is as we've seen with some of the guys he's assigned uh, on the end of the roster, you know, yeah. tough minded defensive guys, not guys that he can trot out there and try to beat somebody with. I don't think uh, yeah. now, you know, and so, so I'm okay with that. That's like, uh, you know, if you could have got somebody as competitive and tough minded as Del Dover, who could actually make a shot or something? I'd been, I'd, I'd actually been better with that. But, yeah. but, but, but you know, it, it's okay. It's a third string guard, and my, I'd be very surprised. I know I might be alone, but I, I, I really like Kevin Herter a lot, and saw him play some backup point with Atlanta. And I'm pretty sure he'll be their third string back, third string <laughs> backup point when it really counts. So, uh, sure. no big, no biggie. Uh, Tough-minded kid that'll come in and and do what the coach wants. Uh, another one, which I think that uh, Coach Brown's got three or four guys like that now. Fine, let's move on. He's one of those guys that I feel like, in, in the same way that when they brought in Davion Mitchell last year, it was like, oh, he's really going to help. He's really going to help the Aaron Fox. Aaron Fox is going to get hounded every single practice. Oh, he's going to be on him like flies on crap and it's it was one of those things that everyone was really hyped up for how De'Aaron Fox would respond to being guarded in practice by Davion Mitchell I feel like uh Della Vadova in a certain sense of that 
he's going to be kind of that way for maybe Davion Mitchell a little bit where like, he's probably not, I mean, he's, he's, I don't want to call him old cause he's two months younger than I am, but it's one of those things that like, he's, he's old. The, yeah, <laughs> he's near the end of his career. And like, if all he can do is teach Davion Mitchell one little chippy thing or one way to get in somebody's head to frustrate them on the defensive end, like it'll pay off for, for Davion to have a, a guy who's more of a player coach than he will be an actual player in the league the guy who's sitting 14th or 15th down the bench that is there to hound him and harass him and just teach Dave on a couple little things that he can improve on. Then I think the signing is worth it. But I think Jerry, you're also right that like the acquisition of uh Casey Okapala and Chima uh, Moneki, like these guys are all a part of a bigger, like it's going to be kind of gritty, you know, there's going to be some, some, yeah. there's going to be some elbows being thrown in, in, in these, uh, in these practices. And like, uh, I think that's a big change from, from, from the culture of the last few years. And I'm excited for at least that element of it. And if Matthew Delvadova can provide any meaningful minutes in the, in the process of sitting on the bench and collecting his money, I'll be fine with it. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, is I, I really think that uh, these guys and coach Brown's, you know, he, he understands that he's got some loyalist on his roster. And when, uh, you know, the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th guys, you know, might start bitching, man, I should be playing, you know, got some guys in there say, shut the bleep up, you know, you're lucky to be, you know, and I, I really, I mean, I think you, you do need some of that. Uh, and so uh, no, no problem at all. I, I kind of like, like I say, uh, you'd always like a little more talent, but, but the, the talent that's going to play is the talent already that's going to play. Yeah. I also think like if, if the Kings are in the position where they're, where Del is actually playing, you can probably go and get a guy who has more talent you know, in a pinch if you need it. I think they brought in like Moutier at the end of the last year, who isn't great, but you can find those kind of like plug and play guards if it really becomes a problem where Del is clearly, you know, playing too much and his body can't handle it. He's an older player. I feel like, you know, the cost of acquisition for a backup point guard, third string point guard, if you're really in a, in a bind, isn't, isn't too high. So even worst case scenario to me is not that bad here. No, no. And the other part, and you hit on it earlier, Tony, you're right. I mean, uh, you know, if, I mean, Isaiah Thomas is probably going to go back to, to Charlotte, but the Isaiah Thomas, Quinn Cook kind of guys, there's yeah. always somebody out there that that are available, that can go score at a lot better rate than uh, Del Vadova can. Yeah. Just, so, so yeah, I, I just, I'll spend exactly zero minutes uh, worrying about this one. <laughs> plus, uh, plus, on the other hand, the Kings now have two guys with great nicknames. We've got Off Night, and now we've got Outback Jesus, so... I'm, I'm happy with that from a selfish point of view. So a uh, friend of the podcast, James Ham, reported on Thursday that uh, Keegan Murray underwent a minor procedure on his uh, right wrist to clean out some loose bodies and that he also mentioned that it won't impact his rookie season with the Kings. Everything should be healed up by the time the things are ready to go. But Jerry, Tony, I'm going to give you 30 seconds apiece anyways to freak out about our highly touted picked against the general consensus rookie power forward having wrist surgery just 79 days before the season starts 30 seconds to complain whine get scared whatever you want go well for me i i will get a little scared uh you know it's uh minor surgery is only minor uh to everybody that's not being worked on but uh sure. i always remember exactly that same thing said about purvis ellison before his rookie year um very minor <laughs> foot surgery and uh, i think it, late December, I still waiting to see him play. <laughs> and so, yeah, he'll, he'll be ready. He'll be ready. First of the year, you know, you won't miss any time. Well, anyway, so, so yeah, I think there's always, and until there's nothing to be concerned about, 
Uh, be concerned. That's what I'd say. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to come out here and say, don't worry about it. It's only August. <laughs> and then Jerry, now I'm worried. So I guess I'll be worried for the next, I don't know, 30, 79 days. days, 79 days until we see him out on the court. Um, yeah, it sucks. I wish it didn't happen, but what are you going to do? And then you'll have people, I mean, I assume something happened at summer league. I don't know if we know exactly when he got hurt. So you'll have the second guessers saying that maybe he shouldn't have played some of these games or whatever, but um, or maybe it didn't happen in summer league. I'm not even sure if that, if that, if those details actually came out yet, but it just, it sucks. I wish he wasn't hurt and we'll see how he heals before the season starts. See, Jerry, we, we haven't been, uh, we haven't been used to having any sort of meaningful basketball for 16 years. So we don't really care. Oh, minor thing. Okay. So what, so what if he sits the first month of the season? Now we got a little bit of hype behind the team and we have to have you here to, to hold the history of the Kings to go, <laughs> hold on a second. Yeah. When it mattered a little bit, Purvis Ellison wasn't there. Well, well, sadly, I do remember too much of that stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, to where, you know, I mean, and, 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 you know, odds are just that, but uh, sure. I worry just because of sometimes doctors aren't always right. Uh, sure. You know, I, I remember, you know, telling me that uh, basically Kenny Smith was, wouldn't last long because he had really knee problems and they were just as bad as Ralph Sampson's and, all I know is Kenny was still zipping up and down the floor 10 years after Ralph was totally crippled. So, so uh, sometimes uh, doctors really aren't much, they're, they're wrong. Sure. They're wrong. And uh, I don't know if it was so, so, and the fact that it's on his uh, wrist, the shooting wrist, uh, always, that's a very fragile kind of thing in terms of, I don't know, shooting the basketball. And so, uh, but but probably it's going to work out to his advantage. You know, he's kind of an ambidextrous kid anyway. And so, you know, you know well, I'm sorry I got there by worried, but, but I, I can't help it. I, I just, I'll be worried until they, they, there's no reason to be. Yeah. Well, the, the Kings are set up where they can't afford any setbacks, really. I mean, there's so much riding on this season. The expectations are, are getting fairly high, even though that's just playing for having that being an expectation is pretty high for Sacramento. So, for anything to go wrong, it it's kind of a big deal because there isn't a huge margin for for error here. So hopefully he's hopefully he's okay. Yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, so our mothership, the Kings Herald, uh, has started an off-season series called uh, Tales from the Drought, where our writers are revisiting great moments or players that have gotten kind of swept under the rug because of the Kings' ineptitude. Uh, Aki dropped a great one today on Kevin Martin, and uh, having read some of the discussion in our in our in our chat uh, on what's to come, I'm really looking forward to a. Uh, Basically, we're going to be wading back into some really painful seasons for some really great moments. Now, during that discussion today of all these weird moments during the King's drought, the question got brought up. And uh, Jerry and Tony, I have to ask you this now. But um, one of the questions that got asked was, what's the best performance you've seen in person over the years? And Jerry, somebody said that uh, they had a memory of you talking about Clay Thompson going for 37 and a quarter. Uh, but I'll let you guys answer that any way you want to, which was the, what's the best performance you've seen in person over the years? Well, it would be that it would be Clay Thompson, 37 points in the third quarter and against the Kings and uh, shooting display. Like I've never seen, and I've seen all the great ones and I mean all the great ones. Sure. And uh, Clay was, uh, I mean, you know, the ball didn't hardly touch the net. I think he maybe dribbled it three times the whole time. Uh, it's just a remarkable, remarkable exhibition. I, I did see on TV, you know, TV, I, I wasn't live at the game. He had 60 against the Pacers in three quarters. And I don't think dribbled a couple of times. And, 
And, uh, but, but so, so that would be it for me. I, I can't think of any game, to, you know, you know, certainly LeBron and Jordan. I mean, they're, they're all just, and you go through the list of great games, but boy, that shooting display, I don't think will ever be matched. Tony, what about you? I haven't been to uh, like an iconic live game yet. Certainly not in Sacramento. I mean, I've only been to one Kings game in Sacramento and it was the uh, golden one center opener, which was a fun game to be at, but not uh, nothing memorable as far as individual performances that I can recall. Will, were you going to say something there? Well, I was just going to say that was the game where um, uh, Kawhi Leonard just stripped Ben McElmore's soul from his body. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was never the same. That's the yeah. only iconic thing that I remember about that game was. I guess that is probably a pretty good one. The end of the Ben McElmore era, I guess, yeah. right then and there. <laughs> the one that came to mind, this was in no way the greatest performance. I mean, I've seen LeBron and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. I've seen a lot of players play, and I'm sure I've seen DeMarcus go for 40 or 50 or something like that, but the the game that I remember most, like the first, like what's the one game where I was sitting back going, how the hell is this happening? Uh, the Kings played the Cavaliers in 2009, right before Christmas. And they the, the game goes to overtime. And Zydrunas Ogowskis hits three threes in overtime. And, and like it was, he, he hit, I think he was either three or three or four, four from three in overtime alone. The Kings did not score in overtime and they lost by, I think they lost by like 15 points and it was like 15 to zero in that overtime game. And Zadrunas ended up with like 25 points or something like that. And I remember just sitting there halfway through overtime, we get to overtime, like, Oh, Kings are going to take this one. And not two minutes into overtime. It was like, this is over. Like, Oh my gosh. So Zadrunas Ogowskis has haunted me for a while now. And every time I think of that man, I can only think of like, Oh, this is my second Kings game ever. I'm so excited to be here and just him crushing my soul in every single way possible. The one other interesting Kings game that I went to, although it wasn't like an iconic performance, was actually in Boston. It was the first game after the Ron Artest trade. It was the deadline or some, the Kings had acquired Ron Artest and their first game was against the Celtics in Boston. I just remember being there for, it was also Wally Zerbiak, random name from the past, his first game as a Celtic because the Timberwolves had traded into the Celtics that deadline. And I remember watching that game. I was a Kings fan. I was probably like, I don't know, 15 at the time or so. I had my Mike Bibby jersey on uh, at the Celtics game. And I remember thinking, because I, I was I was a huge Peja guy at the time, and that's obviously who they traded uh, Ron Artest for. I was kind of bummed out. But walking out of that game, I was like, oh, I think the Kings might have gotten better here. Like, Ron Artest is is pretty awesome. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I remember that game very well, too, obviously. And, uh, of course, I was kind of very much involved in the Peja Artest trade at that time because because of uh, Bird and 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 our test thing and uh, you know and the team was just going nowhere yeah it was dead dead in the water yeah you know Pager wasn't Page anymore really didn't had the bad back and you know would would go on to probably you know have a moment or two here and there but he just wasn't Page anymore but our test was still our test and. Uh, uh, no doubt he made the team. He just changed the team is what he did because he was such, we had some physical guys, as you guys remember, Bonzi Wells and Sharif Abdurrahim. And, and then of course you had the ultimate physical guy, Ron Artest. And, and that team just, it just changed because then all of a sudden, you know, about everything they, that the Kings played from then on, we're looking at them cross-eyed and, and uh, gave Kevin Martin a chance to, uh, to really develop because he had guys physically covering for him because he wasn't the most physical guy. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, and then guys knew, you know, around the league, they knew not to mess with Kevin because there was, you know, Artest and Bonzi and some of those guys around. And, uh, and you know, no, they, they had very well-deserved, legitimate reputations. Sure. Jerry, I'm curious only because Aki's wrote about uh, Kevin Martin today and you just mentioned him. Is there any game that you remember from him or anything specifically you remember of Kevin Martin that stands out? Well, uh, of course, the San Antonio game, Sure. Uh, playoffs to where he made the really acrobatic shot to beat him. You know, one of the real highlights of King's history. Uh, I kind of, you know, when I think of Kevin, I kind of think of seeing, and I'm trying to think of the the opponent, but seeing Western Carolina, who he played for, hmm. in Cullowee, North Carolina, which I don't recommend that trip. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and I, I, you know, if it was East Tennessee, it might have been, but I went to saw him play and, and he just, I think he had, you know, he's, I don't know what he scored, but he's one of the lead scorers in the country. And I, I was only saying, I don't know if it's got, how good this guy will be in the NBA, but I think he can score, yeah. you know, I, he's so quick, you know, and he had that up fake that yeah. guys kept biting, kept biting on. And, and, you know, and I, the thing I, I always recall, I said, boy, if he can, if he can draw fouls in the pros, you know, like he does here, he, you know, he might have a chance. And what I didn't know, uh, like most things I don't, is that he, he really could draw more fouls in the NBA than he could in college. Yeah. The college, really, I mean, he had that amazing knack. And uh, yeah, yeah, Kmart, you know, he could score. You know, he was an awfully good late, late first round pick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I missed the opportunity to ask this question the last episode, and it's been on my mind. It's been haunting me ever since. Uh, the NBA Board of Governors met at the start of July, and uh, they made a couple of rule changes, Jerry and, and Tony, and I wanted to get you guys talking about them just to get your opinions on it, because I know Jerry has opinions on them. So there's three that I want to talk about. Uh, two are kind of rule changes and, and or, or, or set in stone, and one is something that they're still discussing. But the first one, of course, is that um, – is that they've permanently added the play-in games as part of the postseason schedule after their inclusion being kind of a year-to-year thing for the last couple of years. Do you guys think this is a good thing or a bad thing that the that the play-in game is now permanent in the NBA? Well, I, uh, I'm i okay with it. You know, I was very much against it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I thought it kind of cheapened the playoffs, but, you know, quite honestly, the playoffs are a little bit cheap anyway. Uh, when you look, so, but I, I think what it's done is add some excitement to it. Uh, you know, I mean, it does, it, it adds a little excitement. It takes away a little bit of the tanking, uh, from, from the whole equation. So yeah, why not? You know, I just hope now, and you know, I hope they don't go to the mid season tournament, which of course they will. And, uh, then I'll be mad about that. But I think this, this, this is okay. This is okay. I, I the only thing I, I would say is, is as a Kings fan, uh, you know, play in's play in. It, it's not you're not in the playoffs till you're in the playoffs, yeah. and that means uh, so okay, you can be in the play in, but you till you win a game till you're in the playoffs, you are not in the playoffs, and that and I want to make that crystal clear. <laughs> Tony, what about you? I don't know if this will always be the case with the play-in, but it will it will remain a good idea so long as teams actually try and reach it. And I thought teams would would not care about the play-in, right? I thought that it wouldn't do anything to help tanking, but I actually think it has helped the tanking issue problem, whatever, because you have teams like the Kings who 
I think the Sabonis trade is a great example of, of like the play-in difference. Not that they wouldn't have made the Sabonis trade without the play-in, but you can have a team that is so far behind in the standings and still make a win-now trade in a year where under previous rules with no play-in maybe, you just have that team go right to the tank. And instead, the Kings, knowing this was even an option to either make the play-in that year or they can make the play-in the next year, it really has done a, a bigger number on tanking than I thought it would. So as long as teams continue to treat it that way, and I think that could change in a few years. You know, Teams could decide that actually this isn't worth our time. We're going to go back to the old ways of trying to get the number one pick. And then the play-in would suck because you'd have teams that aren't really trying to go for it, making it anyways. But if these if these teams are going to continue competing for it, I think it's a pretty good idea. Yeah, you know, one uh, yeah, one last thought there on that is too the uh, thing that always struck me about it is is it didn't really create a lot of excitement uh, for sure. And uh, you know, the teams that two years ago tanked to get the first or second pick and said, you know, like Detroit and and Houston, guess what? They were tanking again this year for the first or second pick. <laughs> yeah. And so I I, I don't I, th- I don't think that's lost on on everybody. Yeah. That uh, you know, unless unless that special guy is there, uh, you know, you're you're tanking for you know guys that you you know probably going to be really good, but not transformational. Yeah, sure. I, I think that's the biggest thing for me too. Is that like I don't want to say it necessarily tricks teams, but it gives teams that probably shouldn't have hope yeah. a little bit more hope that they could do it. That like a Sacramento Kings team could be like, well, we only have to go 500 over the stretch, and we could we can get to the 10th, baby. Where like any other year, it had been like trade it, get rid of it. Like TV ratings go down the tubes. Nobody's making money because popcorn's not getting sold because they'll be showing up. Okay, now now you have a justifiable way of of saying okay. Well, the Los Angeles Lakers, they could have looked at last season knowing that they weren't going to make make the playoffs without the without the play in. They could have decided to blow it up and oh, that's not good for the league either. So they string it along. It just strings along these teams that have a little bit of hope into thinking that they've got a chance and like. I hate it. Like I'm very much for like, no, just drop to the bottom. Damn it. You know, just, just, just look at yourself in the mirror, realize you're not doing anything and start over. But for the NBA, it's probably better logistically. It's better for the league in terms of the money and, and everything else. So I'm fine with it. I am a okay. Okay. So this next one is uh, that they also amended uh, rules regarding the take foul where previously teams could stop a transition opportunity by simply fouling the player out ahead and requiring the offensive team to take the ball out on the sideline. Now the offensive team, when fouled, is going to be rewarded a free throw, which may be attempted by any player on the offensive team in the game at the time um, when the foul is committed, and the offensive team will then retain possession of the ball as well. So I'm, I'm assuming you guys are pretty positive on this one, but what do you guys think that they finally have like closed the loophole on the take foul? Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Long overdue. Yep, for sure. Okay. See, that was easy. I, I, I knew I knew that one would be the easy one for everyone. And uh, Jerry, this is the last one, and unfortunately, uh, I, I want to hear how upset you'd be about it. But the final one to ask you guys about that is something that that we've that they've discussed, but they aren't expected to implement just yet. Is the midseason tournament talks have centered mm-hmm. on a tournament that would uh, feature pool play as part of the regular season schedule followed by those teams with the best records advancing to an 18 single elimination tournament that would wrap up right around Christmas time. So it sounds like it would start at the beginning of the season with some sort of pool play and then wrap up around Christmas time. There's currently a discussed purse of a million dollars per player for the winning team. Um, Like the play in any season in season tournaments have to be collectively bargained through the, the, through the NBA players association. 
So they're not expected to, to have that for at least another year or so. So Jerry, Tony, what do you guys think about a potential midseason tournament getting kicked into the NBA? Well, I'm not a fan. Uh, I, I just think that I, I get the idea of the million dollars per player. I could see a whole bunch of eighth, ninth, 10th guys loving the heck out of it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure your number one, two guys are going to care a lot for it yeah. uh, uh, financially. And, and, and really what does, if you win, what do you get a mid-season ring? Do you like summer league? You get a <laughs> mid-season. So I don't know. I, I, I think they're trying too hard. I think the product is the product. And obviously, you know, the, the reality is uh, there's too many regular season games and this doesn't change that. And I don't know. So, you know, anyway, I, I'm not in favor of A, but maybe, maybe uh, you know, people, they're not trying to appeal to people like me. So I get that. They're trying to appeal to, you know, maybe 15 to 19, 20 year olds, uh, you know, that anything to bring a few more eyes to the, to the product. And I guess if that's the case, but I'm not sure those eyes will stay with the product. You know, I'm not at all sure they shouldn't be worried about not necessarily people like my age, but more like your age to where, uh, Hey, just really good knowledgeable basketball fans. Are they going to buy into this? And if they don't, if they don't, it's a bad idea. Yeah. If they fold it in of the 82 game season into the tournament where they don't lose any games, they don't, but they don't gain, you know, 15, 16 extra games. Would that be something that would be easier for you to take Jerry? Yeah. Yeah. It, I could, you know, it'd be easier. Sure. It would be easier. Uh, of course, if they're going to do that, then just cut the schedule period and I, that'd be easier yet. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Tony, what about you? What do you think about this midseason tournament? I'm going to be honest. I don't hate it. We'll see how, like how the execution is and it's going to come down to how much do the players care? How much do the teams care? How does the NBA figure out their reward part of it? And it will probably suck for a little while. Like it, it probably won't be that good when they started out. The idea is hopefully it gets better, much like the, the, uh, the uh, play in game has kind of gained some, some value and some meaning. I think in time they could figure it out. And I'll, I'll put it this way. I got legitimately excited the two times the Kings won the summer league championship. So if I can get excited about a summer league championship, a summer league title, a summer league ring, even if it's, you know, 5% as excited as I would be about an NBA championship ring, then as a fan of, of this team as in basketball, I would be excited on some level. If my team won that midseason tournament, uh, how much, I don't know, but tournaments are fun. Winning things is fun. If I can get excited about a summer league championship, I can probably get it, get excited about this. So we'll see how they innovate and, and make it better. Um, it's probably not going to be good for a while, like I said, but I, I don't hate it off the jump. I think there's a way they can do this right. I'm not sure they figured out that yet, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah, it, but it sort of reminds me a little bit of uh, the college games where they have the, the big various holiday tournaments. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, those are really right now create about as much excitement as me mowing my yard. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) It feels very soccery to me. It it feels, it it feels very like uh, Sac Republic uh, is, is on their way to the, uh, the U S open cup finals. And and that was a big deal this last week. And, and we're all very proud of them here in Sacramento, but like, it was weird to me to read that like, Oh, they'd, 
they've beaten three straight major league soccer teams and like they're going to the they're going to the the finals for this thing in a month and then two days later they just played a regular season game and like they won but it was just like one of those things like I, that's kind of there was some like whiplash there was some hype there to me that i was like oh that's interesting that they they didn't like finish it out first they, like, they didn't pause their season to finish this other tournament where every soccer team mls otherwise can play in it that it was just like oh back to back to league play so that would be the one thing tony kind of similarly that they have to like they'd have to do it right they'd have to set it up in a way that like i can stay hyped about it and even if the kings lose or if, if the kings win the midseason tournament or whatever it is then the next day they're playing a game against Orlando and it's just yeah. kind of like, Oh, okay. Like it would be, a, it, there would be an interesting tonal shift in terms of fan excitement to go from like, Oh, how exciting we have this tournament to start off the season. And we're all hyped because the Kings went five and three in this tournament and they didn't, they didn't make the finals, but they made the mid season tournament playoffs. And, and then it's like, Oh, okay. Now, well now we're back to, you know, whatever. So I, I think it's got potential. But I think they really uh, – I'm glad they didn't just jump on it. I think they really have to massage this idea for a little bit in order to get anything worth worth being hyped up for. Jerry, I also think you're right that they're looking for new ways or innovative ways to, like, introduce fans to the game. And for me, I've, I've been involved in uh, – you know, I've been a fan of the game since I was six years old. Like, you don't need me. So if it's for somebody else, I'll be okay with it. Just, just please, please do it smart. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing to it, to me, is like, I think the league is uh, kind of forgetting why they're popular. And a lot of it has to do with stars, you know, sure. the individual stars that they marketed extremely well. And since the middle seventies or late seventies. And, and I mean, even during the say boring time of the season, for, you know, basically every team is coming in with a, with a star type guy that, really basketball fans want to see, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's Julius Randall, you know, maybe it's Chris Paul, you know, maybe it's a young guy, Jalen Green, but I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's its own, you know, it's a, it has its own as a game selling points more so maybe than any other sport like yeah. that, you know, and where the game, where the, the game itself may not be mean, very meaningful, but I know just as a young person myself, the excitement of being able to see a, a game in person with Rick Barry or Oscar Robertson, where it really didn't mean much to the, either team, but it's like, wow, that that's, you know, that meant more to me than seeing, seeing who's going to win the uh, January tournament, you yeah, know, sure. that, that's all. But then again, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little weird. I know that. <laughs> I think if you can put it in like, again, we don't know what they're going to do, but if you can put it in host cities, so like let's say Sacramento gets to host a wing of it, then you get that sort of like excitement where you have an event happening in your in your area. I think there's ways that you can kind of create some some buzz too. But yeah, it's going to take some time. But I love the idea of like the bubble, for instance. The bubble was kind of cool because you had all the players kind of together in one spot. Now, if you had a bubble-like environment, but it was in a host city where fans could come and it's like an all-star weekend thing and you give new markets an opportunity, maybe you put it in Canada one year, I bet it would be crazy there. Um, I do think there's ways to make it exciting. And yes, that would appeal to the younger younger generation, I guess, but not necessarily a bad thing if they figure it out the right way. See, see now, Tony, you, you bring that up. And now I'm, I'm curious because I'm somebody that like, I'm okay with a good gimmick. Like, and like, oh, a host city where they put it in St. Louis just to see what, you know, like when, uh, when the Pelicans had to play in, uh, or not the Pelicans at the time, 
who was it? Um, when Hurricane Katrina happened, and they basically had to put a team in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City had a yeah. chance to prove that they were worth an, you know, worth an NBA team. And so at that moment in time, it was kind of like, oh, that's a neat thing. If you could put it in cities that were, you know, put it in Las Vegas or put it in Vancouver, or put it in these places that like Seattle always, would crush. Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. Seattle would be great. Then, then mm-hmm. I would, then that would get me a little excited. You know, give, you know, make it so that way that like when the pool play is done, the tournament is not by conference that it's just like one through 16 like Like, yeah throw throw these little things like oh i would like to see an easter conference team play a western conference team in a playoff situation even if it's i mean it sounds like it's single elimination so it wouldn't be that but like give a general manager a a 10 10 million dollar trade exception if they win like do something stupid where like now i can get Mm -hmm. like go go really crazy if you're gonna if you're gonna get a little stupid get a lot stupid and be innovative with it like do do something for everybody where it's like, oh, okay, Monty McNair, if the Kings win this tournament, you get to select anyone on the bench of another team and they play for you for the rest of the season. Or like, or like, or like we're going to cut your tax in half. Golden State, if you can win this thing, I know you're complaining about the luxury tax. We're going to – luxury tax is gone for the rest of the year. Go ahead. And just see just see who who goes bananas for this. Like in the same way the plan is to deter, tank, is to deter tanking a little bit, like – just give them weird incentives a five million dollars to the player who scores the most in the season like in the in the mid-season tournament five million dollars extra to whoever can score the most points in one game regardless of whether or not it's in the finals and then just watch Damian Lillard try for 85 points in a game like if we're gonna go a little weird just go a lot weird just go a lot weird with it and just really piss Jerry Reynolds off no that's what I really want actually uh you know you did get to the point where you were doing that, but, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, but I, I did like that. I do like the idea of a neutral city, you know, like Seattle hosting it. I think if you're going to do something like that, that would be great. You know, that would, uh, you know, because I think that would create some real interest. Now, now I can't imagine the player association going for it, but uh, that's, yeah. that's a, a totally different issue, but I sure like that part. Yeah. If you could come up with something like that, and uh, you know, play it. You know, for a very deserving city, for instance, type thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys got some good points. I hate to, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, I'd, I'd say maybe even though it might, it might work even for no. Well, of course, I was against the play-in, so there you go. Sure. You know, so was I. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so you know, hey, I, I can adjust. They just have to get it right. And like, that's never a guarantee with an organization like the NBA, like uh, with a bunch of talking heads and a lot of owners and thousands of players in a union, like the chances of them getting it perfect is like close to zero. And so if they don't get it hundred percent, right, then it could be a disaster. It could be a really boring, annoying part of the season that nobody cares about. So Jerry, I, I totally understand that. Hey, the other thing, honestly, if they would almost eliminate the all-star game and do that yeah, would sure. be, sure. I'd be, you know, either that or like say, make the all-star game where it's, you know, American born versus foreign born, something that has some legitimate competitive spark to it. But uh, the current all-star game is, in my opinion, isn't worth watching. Sure. The NHL did uh, start doing the winter classic, having these outdoor games. You could add elements like that where now they're playing outside. Maybe they're doing it at Rucker or they're doing it at these other outdoor courts or the aircraft carriers or uh didn't uh feel the dreams like baseball had a game uh there last year so you can you can make this interesting beyond like yes the game might not matter as much and the players might not take it that seriously but if you put it in a cool spot and do some interesting things around it i I think it could still be a fun event 
Okay, if they're going to do Field of Dreams, though, then I need them to wear short shorts. I need them to be with a key that's like six inches wide. I need them to play old school James Naismith rules if we have to. I want Gene Hackman out there coaching. Like, I I do not want this to look like an NBA team, though. No, I want the peach basket on the there, on the wall. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I want the no cages threes. up. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that now that I would be interested in. <laughs> okay, so we uh, we've got more than a couple of uh, Patreon questions that we want to get to. It's summertime. We're going to open it up a little bit. Instead of just taking one, we're going to have uh, Jerry and crew answer uh, at least uh, at least a couple until until we get into some real news. So uh, Tony, Jerry, why don't you guys go ahead and take it away? All right. Thanks, Will. Uh, on every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons at patreon.com slash King's Herald. You can submit questions there or to Will or I on Twitter or on the website, um, on the podcast post to this. You submit questions anywhere and we are pretty good about finding them and then forwarding them to Jerry. If you don't hear your question answered on the main show, we do a Patreon Q&A once a month where all the kind of leftover questions get answered. So keep submitting and we will get through them all eventually. Um, first question this week comes from Zach. Zach submitted this a while ago, and I told him we would ask it on a podcast where we had a little bit more time to talk. And that is this. I know we had like the draft and free agency the last few episodes. So this seemed like a good time to kind of get into a, a bigger topic here. Uh, and Zach says, hi, King's Herald show. First time, long time. Uh, besides being really thankful for the wonderful content you guys provide on the site and via the podcast, I do have a question for the mensch of a man fondly known as Jerry Reynolds. Last preseason, Jerry overestimated the amount of success the Kings would be able to muster up. Partly through the season, he said he was wrong because uh, during the offseason, he saw the team get several NBA-level players, and this caused him to provide a generous estimate of how well the Kings would fare, but later added that it's not just NBA-level players, but it's top-end talent that really add wins. And in Zach's opinion, um, we didn't see any top level talent join the team, depending on how you rate Sabonis. But we did see a number of NBA starter level players join the squad, uh, Malik Monk, Kevin Herter. Uh, and again, this depends on how you feel about Sabonis. Considering his own self-assessment regarding last year's overestimate of success, how does Jerry think this team will fare this year? Uh, number of wins prediction, play in playoffs. Thanks again, guys, for all you do to help people informed, entertained, and proud of Sacramento. And he adds, Project Manair was just wonderful. Sincerely, Zach. I know that was kind of a, a long question, Jerry, but it's a decent uh, argument or, or point about, you know, how, how do you think the Kings are going to play this year with the excitement when all of us have sort of had the, the, uh, the football taken away from us on the, on the kick a few times with this team? Yeah, and really uh, – Great uh, thought there from Zach. And, uh, you know, and I think probably Minch might be added to, to Grinch. Uh, that, <laughs> might fit, that might fit me a little better uh, sometimes. But, uh, yeah, he's exactly right. I overrated the, the team. Uh, and I'll probably do it again. And I'll tell you why. I mean, just to be honest, I, I'm a homer and I'm a Kings fan. So so that leans me to over create overrate you know and with 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 kind of you know the glass always maybe being a little more than half full I so so that that's I've been that way forever uh, I wish I and I would apologize for it but I can't you know it's just the way I am so having said all that yeah I think this team has enough talent to to improve by seven to ten games uh and the reason being and 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 Zach you're uh, totally right. I don't know that Sabonis is a 
you know, I don't think you can put him as a top 20 player, but, uh, you know, as, as from what he's accomplished, he's, he's a more talented, proven player than anybody else and anybody that Kings have had for quite some time. And so, you know, that's kind of where you have to start. And then the fact that he is talented and he's unselfish and he's people like playing with him, that, that gives him a little more pizzazz, I think, in, in, to affect uh, team winning. Uh, so, uh, you know, wh what's the reason I would say this team should be better? Well, I, I think getting uh, Kevin Herter, uh, a proven valuable player on a winner, you know, it's hard to you win unless you've got guys who can win. <laughs> you know, and then uh, Malik Monk, uh, obviously, I, I thought uh, he, he's a nice fit for this team because the team that needs shooting. The draft uh, got an excellent young player, in my opinion, Keegan Murray. Uh, I'm not saying he's a, the second coming, but I mean, these guys are, are you know, reason to be optimistic about them. Uh, new coach, proven winner, Mike Brown, been around a lot of success. Uh, so, you know, you, you expect some, some things there. And then as, as, as we've always said, you know, you can count on Harrison Barnes. He is who he is and that's good. Good solid player. And we are all counting on the new coach, the new acquisitions to assist De'Aaron Fox in having his best season ever on both sides of the ball. Now about March, you might come to, to old Jerry and say, you are an old fool again, but, uh, and you'd be right to say that if it, if it's, and I won't argue with you, but, but that's, that's why I think uh, this team can improve eight to 10 games because I think those things and, and, you know, not unusual injuries has a chance to do that because I think all those things can happen. And maybe the most important part of it, Darren Fox becoming, you know, more better and more productive on both sides of the ball. So that's a long answer for you, Zach, but you had a long question. So there you are. <laughs> Will, I know we all, uh, I mean, I say so many things and predictions that I forget half of them. Um, but how do you weigh like making a, a new prediction or, or have an expectation for this team when you, when things have gone wrong so many times, like it's so hard to predict success finally after so many years of not having it. You know, it's it to me. It's one of those things. That it's a. Uh, I, I used to work for a company where everybody, like everybody in the office, would like sports bet a little bit. When I jumped into it, so people were like, "Oh, you're a big Kings fan. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm gonna start betting on the Kings." And like I told them, like never, absolutely never bet on the Kings <laughs> with anything. Like don't don't bet on plus. Don't bet on a, a single player on the Kings because this. As soon as you look at their averages, the second you bet on them, they'll go under. You know, just never bet on the Kings. And, and, and I feel that way now, like until they prove it, until they're, until they are fully established for a year or two, I, I would not drop 10 cents on them because it's never worked. It's, it's absolutely never worked. And so last year uh, I, I, I went on uh, 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 D'Lo and Casey and I, and I predicted 35 wins. And it was one of those things that like, they were throwing like tomatoes at me in the chat. You could see them throwing, they were just hitting the tomato emoji a hundred times and then send it up into the chat. And, and it was one of those things that like, I just, you know, we talked about it here that like, I just didn't think it was enough. And, and for me this year, 
Like I'm, I'm looking at, it has nothing to do with the Kings. I think the Kings had the best off season they've had uh, maybe in 10 years, you know, they've, they've done everything that they could. Right. You know, I, I've, I've said from the beginning, they need to hit home runs and, you know, in the draft and in free agency and, you know, in any, and in any sort of trade that they make in order to make the playoffs. And I feel like they've hit some really hard balls that have gone off, gone off the fence. You know, they've hit a triple, they've hit a couple of doubles, but it's one of those things that like, the the west is so strong that that it would not surprise me if this isn't the year for the kings but that this is the setup year uh for the kings next year being the year for the kings where i i think about the timberwolves when they when they fired uh uh when they fired the previous coach and got chris adelman in the middle of the year and then or uh, chris not chris uh, chris finch sorry my brain's rattled there um but they got Chris Finch as a coach and they went 16 and 25 for the rest of the season where before they'd only won a total of seven games. I feel like this year might be that year for the Kings where Mike Brown still has to implement systems. They have to get to know each other. They, they have all these new pieces and a lot of talent on that team, but it might be one of those things that like I could see them winning five more games or seven more games than last year. I could see them winning 10 if everything clicks way better than I expect. I just, because they're the Kings because of, 16 years in a row of like getting that football pulled it's one of those things that i would never expect it right off the bat now they they could they could they could they could be like last year's team uh last year's minnesota timberwolves team where they basically doubled their record but i I really don't think that the kings are gonna are gonna go from 30 to 50 wins or 30 to to 56 wins I, i think that they still need one more year they might need one more player they 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 just need some time to settle into a new culture before they can finally establish that like, yeah, we're here. We're a normal organization with regular players and a, and a culture of, of, of accountability. And next year might be that year for them, but I still see them at as between 36 and 39 wins this year, which is a nine game improvement, which is a seven game improvement, which is what you're looking for in the Kings. Next question comes from John Sagara on Twitter and John asks, Jerry, uh, kind of a two-part question, but Jerry, how was Greg Lukenbill as an owner? And part two, does Jerry miss anything about ARCO 1? Oh, great questions. Uh, yeah, Greg, uh, as an owner, uh, I'll say this. Uh, he, he probably knew less about basketball than, than any owner, and he'd probably be first tell you that. I mean, he just really, you know, had no – no real clue. And, and I always felt that as an owner, probably from the basketball standpoint, he truly was in over his head completely, but that's not why, uh, you know, Greg to his credit. And I've always said there really should be a statue of Greg Lukenbill somewhere in the city of Sacramento, because he really, without him, I don't know if they still ever have a team here, but, but, uh, he was a driving force. Uh, he and Joe Benvenuti and, uh, uh, got the team here and kind of, you know, had no support from the governor, a uh, governor, I mean, the mayor of Sacramento, basically, you know, we always called Greg a ready fire aim because uh, that's the way, that's the way he kind of operated, you know, and, and it was probably the, he was probably the right owner for the right time. Now, as far as, uh, you know, building a winning franchise, I think financially it was just uh He's in over his head. But and I, of course, said this about some of the other Jim Thomas, who I got to know and like a lot, worked for. Uh, but I thought both guys probably financially were 
at a disadvantage uh, to compete in the NBA. And the time they became, I thought, in Greg's case and later Jim, uh, really good owners, really, you know, really got it. Then they had to sell. <laughs> Financially, it just got too tough for them. And I always thought that was kind of sad, but uh, nothing but respect for Greg. Uh, I mean, like I say, though, yes, he was, you know, this is a guy that got up on the scaffolding to stop a leak. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I, I'm still amazed that he didn't go splat and uh, <laughs> during the third quarter there. But uh, so I have, I have a lot of, a lot of respect for Greg. And I don't know what the other second question was. Oh, uh, uh, any memories or, or what'd you think of Arco one? Oh, it was, well, it was marvelous as far as atmosphere. There, there's no arena in the history of the NBA that has this, that level of, of uh, enthusiasm. And, and I was, like I say, it was so, so small. Uh, of course, on the downside, it's like that visiting teams would dress in the hotel because it just wasn't, their their locker room was so pitiful <laughs> and even our locker room was pitiful i mean it was pitiful too and uh you know and they had four little suites on each corner so it's 10,333 i always remember when i was working for bill russell uh, me and willis reed at that time we were still in that little building uh for a year and we were all in the same office and, and i just just about became deaf from bill's cackle it just about finished me <laughs> off. Uh, but, uh, you know, those are the kind of things, you know, the memories you kind of have about that little building. But uh, I think the, uh, the thing the Kings did probably set the team up for years to come was the fact that building was so small mm -hmm. that it was always sold out. Yeah. And so when the building, they got a bigger building, it kind of carried over. So even with a bad team, or not a real good team, certainly, uh, although we had playoffs right away. But uh, without a lot of success, of, you know, really a lot of excitement in that building, uh, you know, did that. So I thought that was, and then, you know, just the closeness, the atmosphere, uh, you know, was was, uh, was special. Yeah, I, I loved it. You know, I really loved it. I, I, I It really, and I know I've heard uh, Larry Bird say this too, we talked about it uh, first year the Celtics came out there and we beat them and Bird gagged on a couple of free throws had to had to I reminded him of that too and he had to, he had to buy me beer all night uh, but uh, but anyway he said it and, and I, I said to him I said you know just this place reminds me of Indiana high school basketball you know, at the highest levels when the great, you know, back in those days, uh, you know, it's not like that now, but where you, you know, people were, uh, were waiting to get in the building a half hour before teams took the court. You know, I mean, it was almost like a, you know, people were out tailgating at, at an NBA game, stuff like that. Come on. It was, uh, it was remarkable. Yeah. I, yeah. It was, yeah, it was special. I, I really looking back, I'm, I'm just so thrilled that I got a, to be involved with it. And certainly there are a lot of tough parts to it because like you say, just the, the facilities were just not NBA caliber. They really weren't major college caliber for that matter. <laughs> but uh, the atmosphere was the best. Will, do you have anything on either Lucanville or Arco one? I know it's not for my time, but. Yeah. My, uh, the, the last year and a half, like uh, the last year of the pandemic and then right up until uh, February of this year, 
um, I actually went to, uh, I was basically working at a place that was across the street from where Arco One is now. Arco One got converted into a building that's now being used for the Department of Consumer Affairs. And so my first day going to this place, I drove, I drove by and I'm like, man, I'm right near, I'm right near Arco One somewhere. And then it turns out I'm working in the same parking lot as Arco One. And they still have, they still have some of the parking signs still up. You know, there's still signs that say, you know, OG1, you know, F1, you know, where you're supposed to park. And, and I got to be there for a year and a half. So every day I would walk over, the, like I'd walk over there and they have a little plaque, a little statue. And it was just one of those things that like, I could, I, it's, it's just a, it's just an office building now. It's, it's truly just an office building now, but it's one of those things that being a Kings fan and, and having seen Arco one, you know, from, from documentaries and YouTube videos and the way people talk about it, you could still kind of feel it as a Kings fan. It's one of things like, Oh, I know where this place is. And so when people would, yeah, I'd mention it to, to Kings fans that would come in, uh, and we talk and I'm like, Oh, you know, Arco one's right there. And they'd be like, what do you mean? Arco one's right there. And I'm like, they're like, I remember going to Arco one. I thought they tore it down. And I'm like, no, it's literally, and I could look out the window and point to them, like, no, it's, it's right there. And they, you could see as soon as they got done with me, they'd go running across the, across the parking lot to go see the plaque, you know, and it's still, it's still a place, you know, it's still, it's still a tangible place that you can go to and, you know, worship for a second to be like, oh, wow, like this is where it all started. And it was a treat to be there for a year and a half where I got to do that. It's still, it's still a neat, it's still a neat piece of Sacramento history and it's still around. It's just hidden. You know, part of the genius of uh, Luke and Bill, I mean, really uh, getting the team here, but you know how he's able to convince the league that he, he really had an NBA stadium ready to go. <laughs> yeah. When, 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 when uh, <laughs> I came in uh, July and I mean, there wasn't hardly a hole in the ground and uh, before the seeds <laughs> started, you know, our offices were over there, a little cookie cutter things that for at that time, but, but I, but the other part was, you know, that that Luke, to his credit, I mean, his his vision or whatever, uh, you know, basically said, you know, this is a temporary building. We'll we'll get it up here. It'll be here for. I think he told him two years is naturally three, which he knew. Yeah. And then before, <laughs> and then started building our code two, and I, you know, and I, and I know he he really started building our code two with. I don't think he even had it zoned. He just, <laughs> you know, just basically, you know. We're we're building it uh, with you know. Let us know uh, later on if you're not a, uh, don't approve it. But uh, you know, uh, so yeah, remarkable, remarkable man, remarkable uh, little arena, and a remarkable plan going forward. So all that, and I think that more than made up for the fact that the the teams weren't uh, what you wanted them to be. I just looked up the uh, the building on Wikipedia, and it cost twelve million to build Arco One. So the arena prices have gone. Uh, <laughs> very far up since then yeah arco 2 was like 40 oh that's not too bad either i mean you know no and i mean it was and you know and the owners themselves uh greg and joe benvenuti basically it was built they built it you know every so yeah those days are gone too aren't they yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say for one malik monk you can build a <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next question comes from, uh, let me pull it back up here, from uh, Kingstan916 on Twitter. And he asks it about a player I don't know that we've talked about, but kind of gets swept under the rug or, or falls into the radar when you talk about King's draft busts. Uh, it feels like he didn't even exist, honestly, at times. But he wants to know, how did Quincy Doobie get drafted and how legendary was his workout? Quincy Doobie. Oh, boy. Uh <laughs> 
I will say this, his workout was quite good. Yeah. You know, because I know Jeff Petrie always really is a big believer in shooting, uh, which uh, obviously has proven to be, and Quincy could really shoot the ball. I mean, he was a, a big time scorer at Rutgers and, uh, you know, I don't think it was a surprise to the league where Quincy was drafted. I think if, you know, at that time he was kind of predicted to go there, uh, I've always said. So his workout was was from a standpoint of making shots, looking like he could uh, be a scorer in the league. Uh, certainly it was more impressive than Kevin Martin's by far, you know, just yeah. as a, a general rule. So, you know, there is that or Gerald Wallace or some guys – you know, later on, I mean, he, he had a, it wasn't a workout and, and certainly his pedigree averaging 25 a game or whatever it was at Rutgers was pretty good and 50 point games. Uh, if you wanted me to say now what went wrong, uh, I, I think, which I think you probably do. Yeah. And, and I think we could see, we didn't necessarily see it in summer league. It looked like, you know, uh, he it probably all worked because he, you know, he, it was a, he could score. And so you saw that what, what you didn't see really as much of, or, or like you needed to see what you would later is that Quincy really without the ball in his hands and without things being built around him was very limited, you know, uh, like it's like one of those things where if he could have, if he was good enough to been the man, the star, uh, he would have been the man and a star. But he was, <laughs> yeah. you know, and he, he, he just simply had to be able to fit in as a third or fourth, fifth wheel. And, and he'd never been that. And he really just didn't have the, quite honestly, the basketball IQ in order to do that. And uh, so there was just, you know, no, no role for him. Uh, uh, you know, basically his role was star. And he didn't have the talent to be star, yeah. and it, and he didn't have the probably the 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 mental uh, qualities necessary to be to adjust downward to a to a role that fit him. You know, I mean, and there's been guys that, that probably weren't necessarily more talented than Quincy that understood that had the the, the mentality to adjust. I, I take a Bobby Jackson for example. You know, Bobby was, you know, clearly the star of his college team and uh, the Big Ten and the whole bit. Uh, but it, it took him a while. But then, you know, he could he he understood I can be this is what I can do to be valuable. Yeah. And, and that's always the key. That's always the key. It's so hard. You know, the, the, those great ones, the LeBrons and the Jordans and the Kobe's uh, and, the, you know, Durant's, they don't have to adjust. You know, the, they just come in and I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, the magic bird, you know, you go down through the, the greats. Uh, they, they don't adjust, but 95% uh, of the players have to adjust. And so in Quincy's case, bless his heart, he just couldn't, he just couldn't. Okay. So, you know, and that's, that's what we, you know, sometimes you just can't know what you don't know. Yeah. And I guess looking back at, Doobie in my in my memory in my mind he was drafted higher than 19th but when you think about it you know guys pick 19th don't work out all the time you know it's not it's that's you can call it a bust I guess but you don't always get an NBA player at 19th you just don't so it happens um Will do you have any Quincy Doobie memories or uh or takes <laughs> no I really don't and I think it was just one of those things that at that time in my life I was I was a Kings fan I was watching Kings games and whatnot but like 
I had zero expectations for Quincy Doobie. Like I was too busy concerned with everybody else on the team that it was just like, he, he wasn't good. And so I just, my, my young, my young little infant brain, my little stupid brain just didn't care about him at all. Like he's just like, I hoped he was good. And then he wasn't good. So I just dumped him to go on to the next person. Back when everything didn't rely on a draft pick working out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I always, I always will remember a good friend, Keith drum, who's our, uh, one of our college scouts for a number of years. And he just, I mean, it's first time I've ever seen him really push for somebody or kind of be almost, I won't say irate because, but he was, he was just all on the Rajon Rondo bandwagon. He said, Mm -hmm. got to take this guy, this guy, (laughs) this, this is the guy, you know, and well, you know, so, I mean, and having said that, he also was on so I always tell drummer, I said, yeah, you were right there. And I also remember you really being on board with uh, Thomas Robinson. So there, so, <laughs> so I I, 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 yeah. yeah, I was going to say my, my memory used to be good. All right? <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Well, Jerry, uh, we're, we're just about wrapping up here. So I want to give you the chance for your last say, and uh, we'll, we'll head over to you for the, for the Reynolds wrap up today. Right, there's, there's two things. Uh, one really pretty unimportant, but I uh, want to kind of promote a little podcast. I'm going to do some cross-pollinating. Hopefully, uh, uh, Whitey Gleason, the Phantom, and myself are doing a, the Old Fashioned Three. It's a weekly podcast, uh, just talking basketball, just uh, three old farts sitting around shooting the bull about basketball. Hopefully, I think you'd enjoy it. It's uh, not King-centric. It's mostly NBA basketball with you know kings warriors so hopefully you enjoy that that's youtube and then i, I certainly plan to really from on that site to promote this site because i think this is uh has its own unique uh, value and 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 things that where we try to uh focus on the kings and <laughs> and do a good job and <laughs> you guys may be more than me but then uh now the more important thing and i i want, do want to talk about bill russell you know he mm-hmm. So much is said about his, uh, his obviously his legacy, his marvelous career, his, you know, all that's been said. And it's also true, you know, his social activism. Uh, I don't know how many athletes are more important uh, to, to the world of sports or, the, or just the world and the society than Bill Russell. He'd be right there with, you know, Jim Brown, Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, you know, whatever. So you can put him in any any group you want and he's right at the top uh, as, as a player of value and uh, with his achievements as a winner and certainly social activism but I, I, I'll just take it to maybe the the other step you know I was with him I think a little more than three years and I really really liked him you know he was a you know just a good guy you know once once I got to know him and he, he was hard to get to know he was an eccentric man there's no doubt about that and uh, I worked for him probably a month before we, he said a sentence to me. And I was thinking, holy crap, what have I got myself into? <laughs> and uh, but and I said this on some other things. I said, I always remember I'd been working for him for a while and he'd give me some things he wanted me to do with player development guys and spend time with them. And so I was doing that. I mean, one day is probably a month into, you know, being with him. And he came down and he just said, Jerry, he said, you know what? Come here a minute. He, then he put some arm around me. He said, "You know, I really think you're a good coach." He said, "I think I'm really going to like you." And I said, "Damn, that's a good to hear." I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of worried about that. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, but from then on, you know, it, it really was a wonderful friendship, you know, I mean, I don't think we had a bad day. I mean, it's certainly I, we just talked Kings basketball players, but a lot, the Celtics, you know, the, his career on and off the floor, some of the good that happened to him, some of the bad, you know, his thoughts on uh, players he played with, uh, current players, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, like I say, as, as you age, uh, you know, and certainly I'm a quality example of that, but you look back, you know, on some of your associations and, and they, it, you know, it, it had a lot of value to me then and, and certainly even more now, but, but uh, like I say, I, I, I was lucky enough to be around Bill to, to know him differently. You know, I, just as a person, I genuinely liked. And so that, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. We mourn Bill Russell as the coach and as the player, but also Jerry as, as the friend and as a mentor and everything else too. So we appreciate you sharing that. Well, for everyone here at uh, the Kings Herald, we want to thank you for uh, listening to another episode. Um, uh, if, if you, if you like the questions that Jerry's answering, we have a Patreon where we do once a month where we answer every question that you can throw our way, both with Jerry and Tony and, uh, and you can get as weird as you want with them. So that, that costs as little, I think is $5 if you're willing to join. Otherwise, uh, we will see you uh, in two weeks here on the regular episode. And uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, and really, marriage advice, uh, sex advice, uh, you know, how to raise your kids. <laughs> Jerry to, gets into what, all of it. We'll answer it all. <laughs> what, you know, how to buy a used car? You ask, I'll answer. <laughs> Perfect. You're opening up a dangerous window, Jerry. <laughs> uh, anyways, we, we all thank you for, uh, for listening. We'll see you in two weeks.